0: Good morning. Welcome to the second service today. I want to start off by reading Romans 12. I'm going to be talking about Romans 12 and 13. And, uh, of course, I'm primarily going to give you the, the basic jest, the theme of it. No way to cover all that verse by verse or even. Uh, but I think you will get it uh, very well. It's a very powerful thing here. So we're going to, they'll put it up here, I believe. I believe. Uh, he's talking about, he's talked for 11 chapters, and they're saying, you know, I've told you about how important the book of Romans is, probably one of the most powerful books in the Bible, the book of Romans. The first 11 chapters of Romans is probably the greatest laying down of theological understanding of the Bible ever, the first 11 chapters. If you could really just learn, memorize the 11 chapters of Romans, verse 11, you would know, you know, as much as most people went to a uh, a school on it because that is the theological doctrine that Paul lays out so beautifully chapter 12 is a transition I'm going to talk about cha- chapter 12 through 16 I'll just talk about these chapters so I want to start reading to you and uh, let's follow along in uh, chapter he says therefore and we've already learned that when you see a therefore you ask your, the question what is it therefore and uh, and b- before I get going good I want to thank Sam for Sam Ferris for doing such a wonderful job last week speaking to the congregation I watched it online myself it was a blessing but he says therefore I urge you therefore what is that therefore he's talking about there's three therefore is the first part of the therefore Romans 8 is another therefore it's saying I'm, I'm building on what I previously said so since I've Talk to you for eleven chapters, so everything in those eleven chapters, I want to say. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters. So we know he's talking about brothers and sisters. He's talking to religious people. He's talking to Christian people. And he says, "So I, I uh, urge you, brothers and sisters, to view the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship." Don't you to remember that word worship? I'm going to come back to it. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. <clears throat> I'm going to talk about transform. It's metamorphosis. It's like when you think of a, uh, you find a little cocoon and, you know, the butterfly is in there. And, and uh, as it makes its way, you know, you say, well, I'm going to help it out. I'm going to peel that off. And then the butterfly will never fly. It's being in there. It's going through that change. It's, a, it's, it's something God created it to go through. And it's a struggle to get out but when it gets out, it's able to fly, and it's a beautiful butterfly. How many as a kid ever played with tadpoles? Do you know what a tadpole is? a little wiggly thing in the water. We used to go in, the, in Florida and in play in the ditches, and it'd, be, it'd rain, and it'd be there for a while, and there'd be some tadpoles. We'd take some of those tadpoles and put them in a little bucket or something and take them home, and pretty soon our tadpoles started changing, and they turned into frogs. And I thought it was amazing, like, who do you know, like, what, did I do that? I turned a a tadpole into a frog. You could, you know, even make the little kids believe you did it. But it was neat because it was something that was going to happen. It had to happen. It was there. And so when God talks about he will transform you, that's something God's going to do through you by his mercies. So that's a very powerful word. Uh, transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and prove what, it, what God's will is in the good and pleasing and perfect will of God. Then he talks about those first verses there. He goes, verse 3, For by the, grace, by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, accordance with the faith of God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body and many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we through many form one body, and each member belongs to the other. You notice our, our church management team is doing a lot of things around here. They took down the poles out front. They put these little lights there, and they're they're shining. But we used to have these signs, and it said, Belong, Grow, Serve belonging you you need to belong to a church you know it's like somebody say i'm a football player we go what team you belong to i don't belong to no team well you're not no football player then you go uh uh i'm a i'm a soldier well what army you're in i'm not in no army well you're not a soldier then and a christian that don't belong to church ain't much of a christian just to be honest And he said here, the reason God shed forth all these mercies, the reason God gifted you, the reason God gave you these talents and these abilities is that you belong to a body. It's like our body has hands and feet and fingers. He says that we are members of his body And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If the gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. I've often said people, you know, said, God loves a cheerful giver. And I used to tell people, you know, God loves a cheerful giver, but we'll take money from a grouch. <laughs> but God prefers a cheerful giver. Then he talks about love in action. Love must be sincere, he says. Sincere means without wax. I've told you about the, the uh, vessels, and they used to have cracks. And uh, some dishonest people would try to fill in the, the, uh, the vessel with wax. And they'd get the vessel home and try to make it hold liquid and the wax would melt out and it would cause them to leak. You ever met a Christian that leaks? They're not sincere. Whatever, they get kind of charged up for God and in a few weeks they're done leaked out. They don't have no joy anymore. They don't have no no get up and go anymore. Love must be without wax. It must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another. In love. Honor one another above. Notice all the one another's. Honor one another above yourself. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who you, who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. You're getting down there, isn't he? Bless those that persecute you. Bless And do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Live in in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. In other words, God will take care of the revenge. You serve God. But leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to revenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary. On the contrary, he says, if your enemy is hungry, feed your enemy. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. One time, this woman come to this pastor. She said, my husband, just horrible. And she, the pastor said, have you tried this Romans 12 heaping uh, burning coals on his head? She said, no, but I tried a frying pan. <laughs> you need to keep it in context. <laughs> That's not the context. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans 13 said, let everyone be subject. To the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. Now you got to remember when He's telling them to obey the authorities in the land. The authority in the land was Nero, and it was one of the most one of the most horrible leaders ever. And He said, "If they're in leadership, God put them there. God's allowed their leadership." The authority that exists have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are have no terror for those who do right. In other words, if you're going down the road and you're driving the speed limit and you see a police car over there to the right of the road, it don't even bother you. You don't have any fear because you're within the law. But if you're speeding, how many's ever been speeding? And you see a police officer and you and you got that little fear in your tummy. That's because you're breaking the law. It's because you're breaking the law. And if he comes up to give you a ticket, don't say, well, I'm a Christian. I'm headed to church. Because he's going to say, well, you know, if you knew the Bible, you'd know you're supposed to respect those in authority. And you know, if you're obeying the law, you don't have anything to fear. He said, "He said, uh, but for those who do wrong, they're the ones that fear. Do Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right. Now you think about Paul talking and the Romans there and the Romans are in charge and they're over God's people. And he said, then do what is right. And you'll be commended. In other words, you say in Rome, Christians are not your problem. In the world where some of the most ruthless governments of the world, where there's no freedom of religion, and I'm telling you, freedom of religion is getting less and less and less all over our country. In, in Israel, you can't go and proselyte anybody. You can't go and try to win somebody to your faith in Israel. You'll be put in jail. But that's that way in many, many countries. A lot of European countries. Now, if you have a service and somebody comes to your service and they listen to you and they convert, that's a different thing. But you can't go out trying to convert people. Then do what is right and you will be commended. For one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath. Bring punishment on the wrongdoer. In other words, kind of saying God realizes there's sometimes government that don't we don't look uh, very favorable towards. Right now, China is burning up churches. and But you know, right now in China, they're having the greatest revival ever. Would you be willing to live in a country that has very little freedom if it caused the greatest revival America ever had? That's a question, isn't it? I'll move on. Therefore, it's necessary to submit to the authorities not only because of possible punishment, but also for the matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. I had to say something about taxes because, see, April 15th, we got to pay taxes, Right? I mean, he's already paid some taxes. I've been paying them all year. I had to pay them some more. This is why you pay taxes for the authorities or God's servants who give their full timing to government. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. Respect, then respect. Honor, then honor. Jesus said, "Render to Caesar what is Caesar's." Love fulfills the law. Let no debt remain outstanding. Now Paul seems like he's going in. he's kind of re-saying the Sermon on the Mount. He said, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others have fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does not owe harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilled of the law. He said, time is drawing near. And do this, understand the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Because our salvation is nearer than we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is already almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently. In the daytime, not carousing, not in drunkenness, not in sexual immorality, in democracy, not in dissension or jealousy. Rather, clothe yourself with the Lord, Jesus Christ, and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you take this word today and apply it to our lives. May we see the full ramifications of what you've done for us. And Lord, understand our reasonable sacrifice unto you. God, I pray that you would, Lord, touch me, Lord, that I may be able to share your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'd like to tell you the title of the sermon today is Hokey Pokey Religion. (laughs) And I'll tell you why it's like that in just a minute. But after thinking of Hebrews 1 through 11, I'm going to ask you, have you figured out, have you figured out yet have you figured out yet why you need to make Jesus your Lord? I think we have a tendency in Christianity to say, well, I believe in Jesus. But that's not enough. The Bible says even the devils believed and trembled, but they're not saved. A lot of times we, we believe, I, I believe in the historical study. I mean, it's in, it's in on Facebook. It's in the dictionary, Jesus died on the cross. It's a historical fact. But have you got to a place that not only you'll recognize that Jesus is Jesus and that he died for your salvation, but have you figured out a reason why to make Jesus your Lord, the owner? He bought you with a price. 1 Peter 3.15, he was talking to some Christians. And he says, in your, hearts, in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. In other words... Have you made Jesus Lord yet? James 4 and 7, he says, submit yourself therefore to God. Submit yourself therefore to God. Have you submitted yourself therefore to God yet? Have you made him the Lord? You go, well, what are some of the reasons why I might want to submit myself to Jesus as Lord? One, because we've already saw in the first 11 chapters, because you are free from the penalty of sin. That's a done deal. He was the last sacrifice. Hebrews tells us there was one last sacrifice that was offered up in Jesus. And when Jesus was offered up, there was no more need of sacrifices ever again. He he completed the sacrificial system of putting animals on an altar and shedding their blood. Because you're free from not only the, the penalty of sin, you're free from the power of sin. That'd be another reason To make Him Lord of your life. Another reason is because you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And He said the Holy Spirit, when He comes and lives inside of you, that the Holy Spirit would lead and guide you in all truth. And He would reprove you from all sin. That's another reason to make Him Lord. Another reason we found in the first 11 chapters is because you are sons and daughters by adoption. And I told you about adoption A father could basically disown their own child, but if they adopted a child, they were never allowed to disown that child. Because you are now eternally linked with Christ is another reason. You're eternally linked with Christ. Another reason because you are the elect of God predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. God, like that transformation, that metamorphosis, God's going to make sure when, when it's all said and done... You're going to come forth in the image of His Son. Because you are beyond all possibilities of condemnation. The Scripture said there is now no more condemnation. None. None. See, condemnation, a guilty conscience, is a very sad thing to have. I told you about Carl Menager wrote back in the 70s. He's a psychologist. He said, most people could go home from the mental institutions today if they knew they were forgiven. So a a bad conscience, a guilty conscience causes people to commit suicide. A guilty conscience causes people to commit more and more and more sins. They're thinking the more they commit, the, the less they'll be bothered by the sin that they committed. A guilty conscience. And so the people had such a guilty conscience and it was so It was so uh, horrible on God's people that he loved that he made a a way to lessen their guilty conscience. And the way he lessened their guilty conscience, he had let them offer sacrifices. And it didn't matter, you know, if you had a lot, you'd offer a a bull or you'd offer a goat. You'd offer, but if you only had a little bit, you go, well, I'm, I'm basically broke. You still offered a turtle dove. Nobody got off with offering nothing. And you offered that and it was to uh, uh, leave for at least, you know, until the next offering, until the next year. It would relieve your guilty conscience. But what happened, the, the people, they, they just still had a guilty conscience wondering if it was going to work next time. So it didn't quite work. They couldn't keep the Ten Commandments. They had a guilty conscience. Now they've been offering sacrifices, but it hasn't actually removed the guilty conscience. And he's talking about baptism doesn't save you. But when you're baptized and you come up out of the water, it's an answer to a clean conscience. You're now, no, mother, no more I live, but Christ lives in me. It's kind of an answer to a clean conscience. But he said there's now no more condemnation. And then he gets to the, uh, chapter 8. He said there is now no separation. Or in the end of chapter 16, there, 15, 16, he starts going, there is no separation There's no condemnation. There's no separation. Another reason because no charge can ever be laid against you that God will even entertain. Because there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You got to remember it's in Christ Jesus. Our salvation is in Christ Jesus. Our answer to a clean conscience is in Christ Jesus. Our uh, being a child of God and him being Lord is being in Christ Jesus. See, Jesus has always demanded one's all. If, if God was going to let anybody off the hook, you would let the rich young ruler that come to him. <clears throat> Hourly, he'd been, he said, I've kept all the law. I've kept the commandments. I've kept all the law. Jesus knew that that was not quite true. Jesus knew his heart wasn't totally in it. He'd done a lot of things to be seen of men. Amen. When I went to Jerusalem, that's one of the things I saw. I saw these people wearing all these outfits and these big hats and they were wailing on the wall and they were saying their prayers. And Jesus saw that same stuff in His day. And Jesus said, don't pray your prayers to be seen Amen. Go in the closet and do it in secret. And what is prayed in secret will be rewarded openly. If you give... Don't give to be seen of men. They had a thing where they'd blow trumpets when certain people give money. They would blow trumpets and make a big deal. Out. So Jesus said, don't give to be seen of men. And then the trumpets blow. And they even had a offering boxes that as it went through, the money went down through. It made a, a, a musical sound. And they'd done that in one of the temples to make it, uh, everybody knew what you were giving. And that's why one of the treasured things for people to pick up when they go to Jerusalem is the widow's mite. It's a little tiny, not much of a coin, but the widow's mite. And Jesus said the widow's mite, it wasn't much. It's the the smallest amount of currency that you can really give. But she give it out of a true heart. And God noticed her. She give all she had. And he noticed that. And he recognized that. But this rich ruler, he told him, take everything you've got and go sell it and give it to the poor. And the man went away sorrowful. You go, well, that's not quite fair. He made him give all. Jesus expects all. The Apostle Paul provides a theological framework for what it means to follow Christ totally. And consequential changes it makes in our person's life. God expects all unconditional surrender but once made there's something about giving all there's something about an unconditional surrender that causes the fire to fall on you as a sacrifice there's something about unconditional give all to god i remember when i was a kid they used to sing this song lord use me please don't refuse me for surely there's something i can do and the idea at camp, Lord, I laid my life on you. I'm going to give my whole life to you. Whatever you want me to do, that's what I'm going to do. But when you get to that point, my mom and dad are here today. And y'all been praying for my mom. And she, I told them in first service, the, the medicine they got her now is amazing. It's between the medicine and the right doctors and your prayers, she's here today and she's feeling a lot better way, Mom. But there was a time in our life. There was a time in our life, and I think they'd tell you this, there's kind of time in our life that I would call it hokey-pokey religion. <laughs> we kind of went to church, but we didn't go all the time. And we went to some things, and some things we didn't go to. And at that time, we were, we were not all in. We just kind of went sometimes. And my brother got really sick, and uh, he had to... Uh, uh, go to the doctor and be on all that kind of medicine had to be out of school and uh, something turned in our life and we really got dedicated to a church and we started going and we started going to youth camps and we started going to conventions and I remember this time we got in this little truck and uh, this truck they had just two boards on each side and they put as many grown-ups as they can put in that truck and the kids sat on the floor and I was one of the kids and and uh, we drove from uh, around Auburndale, Florida, Lakeland, Florida, all the way up to Wamami, Wimam- I think they call it Florida, which is a pretty good drive, several-hour drive. We were going to a camp meeting, and I remember going, and it was very uncomfortable riding in the, the bed of a truck, but here us adults and children was riding there to go to this, this camp meeting. We got there, and I mean they had church. They sang the glory down. They shouted. They praised God till about midnight and after about midnight, we all got back in that truck, and we headed back home. And my dad and mom still got up and went to work. What I'm saying is something happened. Something happened. We got not just halfway in to Christianity, but we got all in. I want everybody to stand for just a moment. How many's ever heard of the Hokey Pokey? The Hokey Pokey. I may need some help as some of you singers. The song goes like this, you put your right hand in, you take your right hand out, and you shake it in, and you shake it all about, you do the hokey pokey, and you, that's what it's all about, hey, all right, let's go to the last verse, the last verse said you put your whole self in, take your whole self out, you put your whole self in, and you shake it all about. You do the hokey pokey and you turn yourself around. That's what it's all about. You can be seated. You've probably not done that, something that spiritual in a long time. If you look that up on your internet, you know the internet's always right. They, use, they made that song up about a, 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 a Catholic and he's doing all these ceremonies and somebody wrote this little jingle about the hokey pokey. The Catholic Church really got upset about it and started trying to make people quit singing that song. But they were making of, of his actions. It's got to be right, it's on the internet. But here's the point. Hokey-pokey religion to me is when you come to church and you go, I'll put my right hand in, take my right hand and do the hokey-pokey You're not all in. Put my right leg in, take my right leg out. You're not all in. When Jesus come, there was these people that they had the dress down. They had the look down. They had the pious down. They had the words down. He said, you, you say all the right things with your lips, but your heart is far from me. You're not all in. You're playing church. The outside of the cup is kind of washed, but the inside is filthy. You say your prayers to be seen of men. Prayers are not being answered because you're not you're praying selfish prayers, and that's what I call hokey pokey religion. You're not all in. I'm telling you, you will dread church. You will hate church. You will dread it. You will get tired of the ritual. You'll get tired of the 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 game. You'll get tired. You'll get where you don't want to come. You don't want to give. You don't want to serve. Because there's no fire on the sacrifice that you're giving until you get all in. When you get all in, fire comes down. Anointing rises up. You get to want. You can't wait till the next service. You can't wait to get to the worship time. You can't wait to give. You can't wait to serve. Because you're all in. He said, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you, I appeal to you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. You look at that cross right there and you got the vertical part of it. The 11 chapters of Romans, he's talking about all the things, the wonderful things God sent to us. He sent justify justification. Your justice as saved as you'll ever be, your justice as forgiven as you'll ever be, just as if you'd never sinned. He sent you justification. He sent you repentance. You've been born again. He's sanctifying you. It's a process. God keeps working and sanctifying you. He he's removed all condemnation and there's no condemnation there's no, all these are things coming from God. You didn't do it. You didn't provide you didn't do anything to deserve it God just sent it down from above vertically down upon you what Romans 12 is is when we stretch out and we become the horizontal part of the cross it's when we take the mercies of God and we reach out to others and we become the mercies of God to people that many times don't deserve it but until you get the worship until you become a living worship unto God, until you worship God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all that within you, you don't get the fire, you don't get the anointing to be the horizontal part of the cross. But when you give all to God and you worship God with your heart and you're all in, then it's not easy for you to go out in this world and be the horizontal love of God. You reach out and you're his arms, you're his love. People may spit on you, they may despise you, they may do all kind of things to you, but you love them anyway. Why? Where did you get that love? You got it from that horizontal relationship that comes down from God above. Every good and perfect gift comes down from God above. That gift from God calls you to be able to deal with aggravating people, aggravating relationships, bad governments. It's the love of God. You'll go through anything for the love of God. You'll sacrifice anything for the love of God. But if that fire has not come down on you, every step of Christianity will be a drudgery to you. What's the difference between a a hero and a celebrity? The difference between Mother Teresa and Madonna? The difference between Billy Graham and Billy Idol? The difference between Martin Luther King and Stephen King? One is just famous. The other has made sacrifices for other people. I think the world is sick and tired of celebrities. Why do you say we need to give more honor to people that have served in the armed forces and they've laid down part of their life? Some of them have been shot. Some of them have been hurt. Some of them have been injured. They've been taken away from their families for periods of time and, and been gone to serve our country because they did that for someone other than themselves. That's what you call a hero. A celebrity don't do that. we got too much celebrity, uh, uh, you know, making gods out of celebrities and athletes. But... A true hero is someone that sacrifices something in behalf of another. Did you know there's something deep down inside of you that is calling you to be a hero? It's causing you to lay down your life for somebody else. Causing you to do something out of an unselfish motive. There's something in all of us that wants to make this place a better place. There's something deep down inside of us that wants to leave the world better than we found it. God wired you to give yourself away. Many people spend their entire lives frustrated trying to find out what they're trying to do with their lives. The reason they don't realize God has wired them to give themselves away. When you give yourself away, your life away, God wires you to give your, your life away. The Bible calls it ministry. We all have a ministry. God gives you a choice in life. But if you're going to be happy, if you're going to find your fulfillment in life, you'll have to give yourself away. You are wired to serve God. Romans 6 and 13. in the Living Bible says, give yourself completely to God, every part of you. You want to be tools in the hand of God to be used for His good purpose. Circle to be used for His good purpose. Notice three things in the verse. God wants to use you for His purpose, not your purpose. The second thing, you can be a tool in the hands of God to make a difference in this world. Yes, God wants to use you. He has a unique assignment, a mission, a ministry for you. The third thing, it requires a sacrifice. In order to be used by God, in order to fulfill His purpose, there are some things you're going to have to give up. I'm going to tell you, and my ministry started off as a young age. I remember when my wife said all she ever wanted to do is live in a little white house with a picket fence. That's what we actually lived in, a little white house on PK Avenue. And God called me in the ministry. She'd been a military brat, you might say, and she'd been traveling all her life with her parents, her father, and stepfather. She just wanted to settle down and, and have a home. And she married me, and then I get called in the ministry. She said, well, God called you in the ministry. I don't think he called me in the ministry. I said, we're part of the package. I remember on a Christmas day, we packed everything we owned. We got everything down to a little, about a five by eight little trailer and packed it in there. We went off to college together. We cried all the way out of Florida. We were giving up everybody we ever knew, family, friends, people we grew up with, and we was going away to college. We knew we may never return. Uh, Another time we got out of college, I took a church in Knoxville. His church had a beautiful parsonage, 3,000 square foot parsonage. We went out and bought nice, beautiful furniture and put it there and had it all that. Right after that, God called me into mission work. And I was a mission director over the state of Tennessee and West Tennessee. I started to work with homeless people in Memphis. And uh, we got rid of everything in that house. We sold it all out and we moved everything in a 32 foot trailer. You know, but here's what I learned. If you want God to set fire to you, if you want God to excite you, if you want God to make life something other than mundane, then you give Him all. You don't hold anything back. You give Him, He give Him all. C.S. Lewis once said, the only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. Christianity cannot be moderately important. It's got to be all important. You know, Jesus came down from heaven and he become the ultimate sacrifice. And so why would I, you might say, why would I sacrifice my own plans, my own ambitions, my dreams, my desires, my goals for God's purpose for life? I'm going to tell you some reasons. Number one, because God did it for you. God did it for you. He already did it. God will never ask you to do something that he hadn't already done. The ultimate example of sacrifice is when God sent his own son, Jesus Christ. He left heaven he came to earth. He was tortured. He was beaten. And he was killed. For you and I. Well, a lot of us know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But we need to also know John one three sixteen. The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Uh, he, he did that. He gave his only son. But the thing is. He also tells us later on what genuine love is. He tells us love is always sacrificial. You cannot love anybody. You cannot love God without sacrificing. It takes sacrifice of time. It takes sacrifice of energy, sometimes sacrifice of money to love. If you can show me how to love without sacrificing time, energy, money, I'll sign up right now. But I'll tell you, it can't be done. That's the secret of good marriage. The secret of a successful marriage if both partners must continually intentionally make both large both large and small sacrifices for each other. That's it. Both the husband and wife must continually intentionally make small and large sacrifices one for another. Hebrews 9:26 Christ came to take away all sin by sacrificing himself because we need to learn to sacrifice. Ephesians 5, 2, live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering, a sacrifice from God. If you have no sacrifice in your life right now, there is no love in your life. The unsacrificial life is an unlovable life. The second thing is because it's what I was made to do. It's what you were made to do. You were made to live for God's purpose and that's what you were made for. As long as you keep saying, I've got my plans and I've got my goals and I've got my ambitions. You're going to be frustrated. Ephesians 2.10, if God himself who has made us what we are and given us new lives from Christ Jesus. And long ago planned that we should spend these lives. How should we spend our lives? We should spend our lives in helping others. Notice God has a plan and a purpose for your life. The plan involves ministry and the ministry is helping others. Have you ever tried to do something with a tool that's not intended to do that? I remember one time I needed a, a screwdriver and I didn't have a screwdriver. So I got my, my, my knife out of my pocket and I used my knife as a screwdriver and I broke the tip off. And then I got really mad and frustrated and put it back in and now my good knife is broken. The reason we find ourselves frustrated so many times in life is because we're trying to do things with these bodies, with these lives they were never meant to do. We're not just put here to be this uh, self-centered person in this life doing our own thing. We were put here to serve God. We were put here to serve His purposes. We were put here to be His hands extended out showing the world mercy and love and forgiveness. God set the universe under some basic principles. He set these principles up because He wants you to become like Him. God wants you to become like Him Himself. He wants you to become godly. One of the principles he set up is this. You get by giving. That's one of the universal principles of life. You get by giving. Whatever you give out, you're going to get back. What you, If you give out criticism, you'll get back criticism. Normally, if you smile at somebody, somebody will smile back. If you frown at somebody, usually they'll frown back. If you give out cynicism, you'll get back cynicism. What you sow, you're going to reap. The way you get to give, the, what, the way you get is... To give it away. Why did God set that universal law? Because that's the way he is. God is a giver. He's generous. And he wants you to learn to be generous. He rewards unselfishness. Matthew 10, 39 says it this way. Jesus said those who try to hold on to their lives will give up true life. But those who give up their lives for me will hold on to true life. As a pastor, I talk to so many people who are out trying to find themselves. A lot of times somebody's out there trying to find themselves. They run into somebody else trying to find themselves. And they go off and find themselves together. Until they get divorced. (laughs) I said earlier, fulfillment does not come from self-gratification. It comes from serving others. Happiness should never be the goal of your life. Happiness should never be the goal of your life. The happiest place you'll ever find in your entire life is in the center of God's will, doing what God's called you to do. That's where happiness is. A story is told of an aged pastor, a little Scottish church. He he was asked to resign because there'd been no conversions in the church for an entire year. Hey, said the old preacher, it has been a lean year, but there was one, one conversion, asked the elder. Well, who was that? He said, it was Wee Bobby. Wee Bobby, replied the pastor. They had forgotten a lad who had not only been saved, but had given himself in full consecration to God. It was Wee Bobby who, in a missionary meeting, when when the plate was passed, he asked the usher if he would put the plate on the floor. He then took off his socks and his shoes and he stepped inside the plate. With his bare feet saying. I'll give myself. I have nothing else to give. He said. We Bobby. Became a world renowned. He become the well renowned. Robert Moffat. Who with David Livingston. Gave his life to healing. The open sores. In the continent of Africa. Amazing thought To. Stand in the offering plate and say, I give me. It's all I got to give. What does it mean to be a living sacrifice? asked a woman of her pastor. Holding out a blank sheet of paper, the pastor replied, It is to sign your name at the bottom of this blank sheet and let God fill it in as he wills. That is what Paul had in mind when he instructed the Roman church to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice that is what Robert Moffat did that is what is expected of each worshiper today so why do I sacrifice for God's purpose the third reason is because God will reward me you ever feel unappreciated in doing something you go well I did that nobody cares nobody cares that I get here early and I go up and prepare the children's room and get the children's stuff out, get the nursery stuff out. Nobody cares that I get here early and I prepare the coffee and the donuts and the tables, get ready for greeting. Nobody cares that I get here early and practice the music and the worship. But I want to tell you that's not true. God always notices. I was here Saturday working and I was working on my Sermon, I was out of town a little bit last week, and I was here working and heard something, and Sarah said, Sarah Ferris, her husband, preached last week. She was here, and she was working in that room right there. If you haven't looked in that room, you need to look in that, that room right there. It's for families got small children, and they're not quite ready for the auditorium, and they're not quite ready to let go and be in the nursery or whatever. She was in there, and she was in the nursery. And I went out of the office to see what she was doing, and she's decorating these rooms on a Saturday. And if if normally I wouldn't have been here. But she was here. She wasn't doing it to be noticed or she'd have come on another day. She was doing it because she had a heart for God. She's doing it because it's something she wanted to do. Hebrews six and ten said, God is not unjust. He will not forget your work. And the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help him. God says, when you help my people, you help me. He told Saul, when you persecute my people, you persecute me. See, Jesus is the head of the church bodily. Sometimes you might feel like nobody notices, but God always notices. Mark 10, 29 and 30, Jesus said, let me assure you. That no one has ever given up anything, homes or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or property, for love of me. And to tell others the good news who won't be given back a hundred times over and shall have eternal life. Not only will you be given back a hundred times over, but on top of that, the cherry on top of that, you're going to get eternal life which is already provided in the first 11 chapters of Romans. If you take that and figure that up, that's 10,000% interest. Does anybody know of a bank that gives anywhere near 10,000% interest? I don't think so. God is saying, what you do for me will never go unseen. The Old Testament is filled with stories and sacrifices. I've got much to say, but I've got little time. I want to tell you of a story that happened. I just got back from Israel. And I told you in a couple weeks, I'd tell you a little bit about it. We went to uh, Mount Carmel. We got up there and it was the very place that Elijah has this match. This big match with... uh, The God, they served at Baal. And the, the thing about, as we was up there on that mountain, and we sat around, we began to have one of the persons in our group. They talk about this mighty story where Elijah, by himself, went up against the 750 false prophets of Ahab, of Baal, and they gather there and uh, he is kind of funny. Elijah is kind of funny in the story because Elijah said, well, you build an altar and you put a bullock on it and you prepare it and you call down fire from heaven. And I'm going to build an altar and I'm going to put a bullet on it and I'll call down fire from heaven. And whichever God answers by fire, then we will know that is the God of Israel. Now see the, the Canaanites that started worshiping Baal. Baal meant uh, the, 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 Baal meant it was the god of rain, the god of lightning, the god of prosperity of of the gardens, and uh, that's what Baal meant. And so the people wanting to have good gardens and good this and good that, they began to worship Baal because they began to believe the lie that Baal was God and that you'd get some kind of something good from Baal and uh and so god uh had a uh elijah go to ahab and said until these people get straightened out there'll be no more rain until i say there'll be rain and so this no rain had taken place for three and a half years so they they build their altars and uh First, he lets Baal Ahab go and the prophets of Baal go and they start their stuff. And so Elijah's making fun of him. He goes, maybe your God's asleep. Now, this is in the actual rendering. If you want to go back and look at the words. He goes, maybe your God's out taking a dump. Can you believe that Elijah went there? He was one prophet against 750 prophets. Maybe he's going to the bathroom. Why don't you see if you can call down God? And he was making them so mad, they were getting so angry, they started cutting themselves, which is part of their false religion. And they began to bleed all over the altar. And they was bleeding and yelling and screaming and doing all this stuff. And Elijah said, Mecca were just laughing. And finally they give up. They couldn't get no fire to fall on their little fake sacrifices. Their fake God. Then Elijah, he commanded. And here's the part the Jewish guide was telling us as we told our stories. We told that he challenged them and we told about that and and all this stuff. And this Jewish guide, he said, "Uh, can I share something about the story that he said, I, I see a lot of people, they miss this part of the story, and I'd like to share something. And we go, yeah, share something. He'd been in the schools of rabbis, and he was, he was a, uh, raised in Israel and lived there in Jerusalem. He said, did you remember the part of the story that they had been in drought for three and a half years? He said, if you read in the story, you'll find that they took and they would take parts of their herds and go down to little holes, little tiny springs, and they would try to give just enough water for their animals to try to live because they said, if we don't get some kind of water and some grass right around those little spring areas, they're going to die and we're going to have to kill our own animals because they're going to die from drought. Three and a half years they had been A drought in the land. And it was severe drought. Well when Elijah gets up there. He tells his people. He said I want you to go get all the water you can find. Did I not just tell you there was a drought in the land. Go get all the water you got. They went and they poured water all over the sacrifices. Go get some more. And so they went and maybe they had, uh, this was held back. But you know, now we've, we've given the water that was supposed to be for our few animals get the other water and they poured that water on. Maybe they had another little section of water saved for themselves. He said, go get the rest of the water. And they poured, the, three times they poured water until it was running out around the ditches and off of the altar. Seems like a huge waste. Seems like a huge sacrifice. But here's what this Jewish guy said. He said, here's what Elijah knew. God always notices a sacrifice. He noticed the woman that gave the widow's mite. He noticed the one that give all. He always noticed the one that's praying in secret. God always notices the true sacrifice. That sacrifice they poured out, they kept pouring out. It was all, I believe, all the water they had. It was all that they had. That was that worship. You go to worship first. He said, God, the peoples give all they've got. And I believe God told Elijah, said, I saw that. Step back. And even though Baal's name meant God of rain and God of lightning, like a lightning bolt come out of the sky and hit that altar and set it on fire. And guess what Elijah's name means? Elijah's name means Jehovah is Lord. And the people were jumping up and down and saying Elijah, 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 which we're saying, Jehovah is Lord, Jehovah is Lord, Jehovah is Lord, Jehovah is Lord. If you want God to set fire to your life, then sacrifice. I know we've we've been off ourselves at this church. This idea, come to our church, you don't have to give, you don't have to do this, you don't have to do that, you don't have to do the other. David in the Bible said he would not give anything to God that didn't cost him something. Your Christianity should cost you something. It cost Jesus everything. We've got to turn that around and offer a sacrifice to the Lord. Elijah, then he goes over and he tells the servant, he said, I'm going to go over here and pray. See, Elijah believed in prayer. Elijah goes over and he starts praying to God. He told the servant, he said, do you see any clouds yet? The servant looks and says, no, I don't see none yet. You got to remember they're up on this mountain. So he gets down and he prays again. He gets up and said, do you see any clouds yet? No, I don't see none. Elijah prays seven times. Number of completion, number of wholeness. Seven times he prays. He said, do you see anything? His servant goes, yeah, I see. It looks like a a cloud about the size of a man's hand. He said, get on the chariot, get loaded up. We got to get out of town. Rain is coming. And rain came down. And the rain came down and the rain came down. What do you think people felt like that had gave all the water they had during a three and a half year drought? They were out there probably dancing in the rain. (laughs) Jehovah is Lord. Jehovah is Lord. Jehovah is Lord. It's not good enough to make Jesus just your Savior. He's got to become your Lord. And to become your Lord it's going to require a sacrifice on your part. Not a sacrifice to be saved. That's already been done. but a living sacrifice. Has there ever been a li- Isaac was a living sacrifice. He laid on the altar. And then the, a ram was provided and he went away. He was, he was big enough to whip his dad at that age though, but he laid on that altar and he, a- Abraham was going to offer Isaac and the ram showed up. Jesus was a living sacrifice. They hung Jesus on the cross. He died. Three days he rose and he was a living sacrifice. He's still living today. Today we're going to take communion. I like for those that's going to help with communion to come and get ready. The Bible says that because of what Jesus did, that everything that you ever done wrong, if you've accepted that gift, has been wiped out, washed clean. What should my response to what Jesus did for me? How should I respond to the fact that he gave his life for me when I didn't even know him? When I didn't even care about him? Romans 12, 1 says to brothers and sisters, since God has shown us so great a of mercy, offer your lives as a living sacrifice to Him. Be the horizontal part of the cross, reaching out, loving your enemies, loving those that despitefully use you, those that curse you, those that do you wrong. You love them anyway in the hopes that they will see something in your sacrifice. They'll see the love of Christ in you. They'll know that you are a child of God. They'll want what you've got. When you think of all that he's done, is that too much to ask? C.T. Studd was the highest paid professional athlete in England at one time. He left it. He gave it all up to become a missionary. He said, if Jesus Christ is God and he died for me, then no sacrifice that I make for him. Be too great. If you would take and pass out the bread, if you'll come this way, I'd like to pray over it. Jesus took a bread and he broke it. He said, This is my body which is broken for you. Today, when you take this communion, I want you to take it different than you've ever taken it before. I want you to take it with the understanding. He was our greatest sacrifice. Yes, Lord, I take you. I, I accept you as my Savior. But this day I declare you are my Lord. You bought me with a price. And I want to be a living sacrifice for you. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray for this bread. We pray for this juice today representing your blood. This bread representing your broken body. It was beaten. God, we ask that you bless this. We we pray that there be a transformation take place in our lives as we make this commitment today. That we begin a metamorphosis. That a fire fall on this church and our sacrifices. That a fire fall in this church and on the sacrifice. That the rain of your blessings come. God, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd pass this, they're going to pass it out to you. And I ask that you just hold the wafer, the bread, until we can all take it together at a specific time. For any reason you don't want to take communion, just don't take it. There's many ways to be a sacrifice to the Lord, to offer a sacrificial life. There's many, many ways, to worship God continually. The Bible says true praise is worthy sacrifice. When you're singing, you're making sacrifice. True praise to God is that sacrifice to God. Helping other people in ministry. The Bible said Jesus gave his life for us so that we should give our lives for our brothers and our sisters. First, that's the first John 3.16. Not just for God to love the world that he gave the only begotten life. But 1 John 3, 16, I was making reference to it already. Jesus gave his life for us so that we should give our lives for our brothers and sisters. It's time for us to give back and be involved in sacrificial ways in serving God. Another way of sacrifice is giving. Giving is a sacrifice. The Bible said, give your offering to show thanks to God and give what you promised You say, if I started giving 10% of my income, that would be a sacrifice on my family. That's exactly right. That's why you should do it. The point is, David said, I won't offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. God is tired of hokey pokey religion where you kind of just put your hand in, you kind of put your foot in, you only give God a little bit here and there. You're not really all in. That's hokey pokey religion. God didn't accept it. Jesus didn't accept it in his time. He's not going to accept it anymore. Another way of sacrificial living is telling others about Jesus. Did you know one of the greatest days of the year to invite somebody to church is coming up? Easter. I hope we have these little cards and, and that you will begin to tell people. You know 85% of all people that you ask to come to church will come? And it's even more so on Easter Sunday. If everybody asks someone and says, will you come, be with me in service? Ask your boss, ask your employees, ask people you work with, ask people at school. Ask them, will you come sit by me on Easter Sunday? We could double, triple our attendance if everybody got busy telling people. You said, well, that's kind of a sacrifice. Yeah, exactly. I've seen guys come out here and clean up the weeds around our building. Nobody ever knew it unless you've seen them do it. They never say anything about it. They've killed weeds and done different things. You know why the heart's right. Heart's right. God's looking at the heart today, so I want us to stand at this time. I want you to look at this as the greatest sacrifice ever given for you. It justifies you. It does away with your condemnation. It's the sanctifying power of God. It spirit fills you. It adopts you. It's the body of Jesus Christ that was broken and put on the cross for you. As often as you do this, do it in remembrance of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice he made for you. And today, will you say, Lord, I want to sacrifice for your body. Lord, I want to sacrifice for your body. Will you say that? Lord, I want to sacrifice for your body. Take, eat. Now you can pass out the wine or the juice. We use juice here. You know, there's a fine line. A lot of churches, go ahead and pass them out, if you will. A lot of churches, they mean well by just telling people there's there's no real hurdle over. Come as you are. Don't worry about giving. That is true. We want to make it as convenient and as easy for newcomers to come. Matter of fact, we we used to tell people if you're new here today, you're not a member of this church. We don't want you to give. That's our responsibility. We will sacrifice your giving in order for you to just be here and enjoy the service. What we are to do is move up closer to the front and let the latecomers and the new people get to sit in the back. (laughs) That'd be another way to sacrifice. It's to make it easier for them to come to Jesus Christ. The Pharisees made it hard for people to come to Jesus Christ. But once you're a, a saved person, Born again, part of God's body of Christ, God expects you to sacrifice to reach others. It should cost us something. And you know the greatest thing about the cost is when you sacrifice with the right heart, God sets fire to you. You'll be that kind of person, you can't wait till church starts. I can't wait till church starts. I can't wait. I just can't wait to worship. I just can't wait to give. I just can't wait to do something for God. I'm on fire. God always sets fire to the proper sacrifice. He always sets fire to the proper sacrifice. Has everybody been served the juice yet? If you haven't, raise your hand. In all sections. Has anybody not been served that is waiting? Raise your hand, wave it. I guess that's everybody. Can you imagine as they bruised and beat Jesus and nailed into his hands and stuck a spear in his side and the thorns, thorns in his brow, the blood that run down our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. On the night of his betrayal, he took red wine, red juice, and he held it up. He said, this is my blood that's going to be shed for you. As often as he didn't say you do it; had to do it every Sunday. But he said, as often as you do it, you do this in remembrance of me. I hope you remember the sacrifice Jesus made, because He always remembers the sacrifice that you make. He sees every tear. The Bible says He even He saves up your tears in a vow. He hears every prayer. He sees every prayer that's prayed in secret that nobody knows you're praying. He knows every hair of your head. He knows whenever a sparrow falls, He will never forget the sacrifices you make to see the kingdom come to Jesus Christ. Take this and drink it in remembrance of Jesus' blood that was shed for you. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask, Lord, as we begin to reach out and sacrifice like never before, God, we expect and we look forward, just like Elijah kept praying for that rain to come. He kept praying for that rain to come. God, we're going to keep praying. We're going to keep sacrificing until the fire falls on this congregation. The fire of urgency, the fire of expectation, the fire of anointing, the fire of seeing the lost saved, the fire of reaching people that despise us. The fire of reaching people that hate our guts. The fire of loving the unlovable. I pray that the fire falls on this congregation. In Jesus' name we pray today. Amen.